You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello there. Welcome back to another episode of the show. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. As always, you know I appreciate it so, so much. This episode is a little bit different. Today we are talking to a dude named Alex Oksher. Alex has been in the gear business for a very long time, and he's in a very specific side of the gear business. I'll let him tell his full story, but in a nutshell, he spent a long time working for Orange and helping to cultivate their artist program over there. He has since went independent and works with a handful of different companies, including Stringjoy, to do the same thing for us. Artists and gear companies are a really interesting dynamic and working relationship where the goal ultimately is to support each other. And sometimes that can get confusing on what that looks like and what that means. And Alex's job is to make sure that goes smoothly. And that includes trying to round up specific artists for brands. That includes trying to round up specific brands for artists sometimes. And he goes into it. I just think it's a really interesting peek into a job and career that I think a lot of people don't really think about when it comes to working in the music industry. He's found himself in a very, very unique position, and he's really good at it. So what a perfect person to have on the podcast to kind of dissect those dynamics and hopefully give you, the listener, a better idea of what that looks like for a company and how those relationships work in this modern day and age that we're living in. So speaking of working with companies, don't forget that if you are buying gear, go to ToneMob.com slash Sweetwater or ToneMob.com slash Reverb, depending on what you're needing and what you're looking for. One of those two places, Reverb.com or Sweetwater, will be able to help you out. And if you use those links, which are also in the show notes, it doesn't cost you anything extra, and it helps keep this show going, and you get the gear you're looking for. It's a win-win-win for everybody. So check those out if you are looking to do some gear shopping. All right, with that out of the way, let's go to this interview with Mr. Alex Oksher. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Wylan, and with me today, I have Alex Oksher. What is going on? How you doing, dude? I'm doing fantastic. In you know, Atlanta, Georgia, on this rainy day. It rains in Georgia? All the time this year. Really? This is mm. not what I picture when I think of Georgia. Well, you know... I wanted to have you on this podcast for a very specific reason. Uh, I'll let you kind of break down your story, but you, you and I have a little bit of a history that like, you're now aware of, but you weren't aware of for, for a while. Uh, basically, you've done artist relations stuff for various companies for a very long time. You're the most experienced person in that field that I've ever met. Ooh. And yeah, I know. Isn't that spicy? Yeah. Uh, and uh, we... At Stringjoy, we used to reference an article you wrote for Orange uh, talking about all that kind of stuff in requests that we would get. We would be like, hey, this is his, this Orange wrote this article. This is exactly what we're looking for, too. So rather than Reese, you know, beat the dead horse again, just read this. And it was immensely helpful because people people got a, a very good idea of what to expect out of a, a relationship like that. But I think even more so now with the, you know, people like me on the internet and everything else, those relationships are, you know, a little bit more open to the general public than they used to be. You know, I think a lot of people, it kind of naturally filtered out back in the day. They're like, well, I'm not in a touring band or I'm not doing that. So I probably don't qualify for that stuff. So 
in a nutshell, we referenced it so much, we eventually tracked you down, and now you you help us directly with with all the artist stuff. Uh, and that's my history with you, but you've got a deep backstory that you should probably explain yourself. How's that maker's treating you, by the way? Is it pretty good? So I, I do appreciate you <laughs> giving me as late in the afternoon as you could for this interview. Because <laughs> I did want to celebrate this, this podcast with uh, this maker's barrel strength. And it is barrel strength. <laughs> so I'm not going to need much of that. Um, right. Well, thank you for having me, Blake. I appreciate it. Yes. Yes, um, yes. You're right. I didn't understand how our lives intertwined um, mm-hmm. and, our, and our, our professional lives intertwined until, you know, we started working together more officially. Yeah. Um, well, I had a secret secret crush on you. That's what it was. I, <laughs> that's awesome, man. When I got that call from uh, from the, you know, the team at Stringjoy, Scott at Stringjoy, and he mm-hmm. had told me that he, he has basically been looking for me. I thought that was really cool. Um and based on the strength of that article. So that was like a huge uh, ego boost, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Uh, it's you know, the truth, too. We, we we were. We were actively like, where is this guy now? I know he's not at Orange anymore. Where is he? You know. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm not at Orange anymore. Uh, I was at Orange for 14 years. I got that job uh, through Craigslist as an intern right out of college. I, I didn't want to get a real job yet, so I got... A few days a week internship at Orange, which was really just like at first it was wiring heads because we were getting them, you know, the chassis separate from all the the internal components. We were actually assembling right. them in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, at Orange USA, and so some of that it was horrible stuff too. Like we got a bu- we got like a hundred four twelves in one time, and they were all wired wrong, so we had to unbox all of them and then like take the panels off, and then the tech had to rewire all of them. Uh, those were the those were my early days at Orange. Um, that is so much more work than it probably sounds like to to a lot of people because you have to unbox them, redo them, rebox them, and make it like like it they were never unboxed. Yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, that's difficult. It was backbreaking, and it was in the dead heat of summer too in Atlanta. So that was you know, but yeah, you, know, you know, I'll just give you a little bit of backstory. Uh, that was straight out of college. I. Uh, left with my now wife to go to Europe for 30 days, uh, you know, just backpack. And Orange gave me a parting gift, which was pretty much like, all right, I'm not, I'm not going to be coming back to Orange after these 30 days. <laughs> uh, I came back and I asked if I could come back in. And sure enough, um, you know, Orange USA was transitioning and doing some, doing some stuff and had let a bunch of staff go. So, you know, my exit was probably very welcome at the time. Um, I did web development for one year. The day that I got back from Europe and asked Orange for my job and they said, no, we can't do that. I talked to a guy that I went to Georgia, not to, I didn't go to Georgia Tech. He went to Georgia Tech. I went to an adjoining college. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, offered me a job as his vice president for his new web development company, which offshored web development to the Ukraine. And uh, Oh, whoa. Yeah, and that you know that was was crazy. I had no idea what I was doing. None of us really had much of an idea of what we were doing at the time. Uh, and it ended about a year later with a brick through a window because I guess some guys didn't get paid. And uh, woof. And that day, I got a call from Luke Zollinger, who is now actually the COO of uh, Earthquaker Pedals. He's my best friend, and he. Um, he asked me to come back as an inside sales rep. Um, so I, I, I came back in. There were only like five of us then at Orange USA. Okay. And he had me work in his office. And that was really invaluable time for me. I think I got like four or five years in the same office as Luke um, before we expanded the space and made our own offices. And I never got to share another office with Luke. But, man, he taught me so much stuff. Uh, it just caught me up on a lot of things about the business in that mm-hmm. time frame. Um, and, you know, during a couple of years after I came back to Orange, um, I, we got, we fired our artist relations person at, at Orange USA. And I was, we sat around in a room. There were like four of us in the room that were, mm-hmm. that were left at Orange USA, four people running that, that place. Wow. And, um, you know, and we were like, who wants to do artist relations? And I was like, I want to. So, 
I mean, I always knew I wanted to work with artists. You know, I mean, I, I, I play music. I, I love music. Um, so, you know, it was, it was awesome to be able to do that. And there wasn't really much of a program at the time at Orange. That was like 2008, mm-hmm. you know, and I kind of built the, the structure of it. Um, about a year and a half year later, Orange, the UK office offered me the, the role of, you know, global artist relations manager. And um, so, for the, so for at least the 12, about 12 years that I was at Orange, uh, I was the artist relations manager and I ran all the social media. So yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, <laughs> I had an unorthodox <laughs> approach to it. You know, obviously, I mean, I in the back of my head, it was always my voice. Leaving that was the hardest part. Is the part I wanted to get rid of the most, and the and the hardest part of leaving Orange was giving up the Instagram because I had curated it exactly how I wanted it, and you know, it had a lot of beer posts. It had a lot of posts that had nothing to do with amps. And I always thought that was a big part of growing the fan base was, you know, you get the oh, adjacent yeah. interests, you know, of your base. Well, that's uh, that's actually, uh, before you wrote, wrote that article, actually going back even further, Scott and I were always like, oh, the Orange Amps Instagram is like the best gear follow. And that was back when you were running it. So it actually goes even a little bit further now that you mention it. I really, I really did enjoy that part of it, and I, I'm trying to, you know, now that I'm doing consulting, I, I don't really have. Doing that is like it's like giving up a piece of yourself in a sense if you really do it the way you want to do it. And mm-hmm. if I'm being, if I'm being honest, I don't think any of the brands that I have now, save for maybe one of them, would want me to really, really control that, <laughs> that narrative. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Because it, it works really well at Orange, you know, it's stoner rocking company. And uh, yeah, totally. I'm a stoner rocking right. guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, trying to, I, I do a little bit of that too. I used to do a lot more, but I still do a, a handful of, of other Instagrams. And trying to strike that balance between what I want to to say, you know, and what the company probably needs to say is uh it's always a little bit of a unique challenge you know it's uh it because on your personal or on your own brand you can do whatever you want right yeah. like and that's what's fun about it that's what makes it interesting but yeah when you're trying to use your voice to communicate for someone else it gets a little bit it gets a little bit interesting Same. and i think back in the day when we were doing that that was actually a Probably, that was kind of weird to a lot of people. I, I noticed that. Like some people would hear that you, uh, like, oh, they don't run their page, and they'd be like, "What? What do you mean they don't run their page?" You know. Whereas you work directly for Orange, so it's a little bit differently yeah. different. But yeah, when people found out that I ran like several gear companies' pages, they were kind of weirded out about it in the back back in those days, which wasn't that long ago, but feels like forever ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but yeah, it's kind of a weird. We have we have some crossovers that I didn't realize we had until we got to hang out and talk about them and yeah. <laughs> drive where we're not supposed to drive and all that stuff. But we won't talk. About I had that. I had never. I mean, you know, you had when COVID hit and everybody in the entire business pivoted to just like daily streaming. Um, mm-hmm. All the brands, uh, you know. It, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I had no idea that you had been a guest so many times. <laughs> <laughs> on a stream hosted by an orange artist. So, you know, I, I was, yeah, <sighs> you know, that was it's, funny. It's at that point, man, it was like, it was all hands on deck, man. You know, we, anybody that would create content for us, we were taking it. So <laughs> it was like, I, I kind of just got lost in the mix on that, man. I can't mm-hmm. believe I didn't put two and two together on that. <laughs> well, I wasn't like the guy, you know, I was the guest of the guy. So yeah. it makes sense. But you were a great guest, you know, so it, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good time. That was a boost I, for I, both, both brands, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So getting into, well, actually we, we kind of stopped at orange. Maybe we should progress into what's modern day Alex up to you. You kind of mentioned it lightly, but. You, you yeah. work with Stringjoy, but that's not it. That's not all you do. No. So in January of 2021, I uh, decided to leave Orange. And it was absolutely mutual. It was just all about my personal growth. Do you know what I mean? It was, um, mm-hmm. 
I felt like I had maxed out there because, you know, you, if I can, and my, my thought process was this, if I can focus on just one aspect of what I've been doing, which is our artist relations, uh, I think I could do this for a lot of people. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So I quit Orange and I got pretty quickly lined up uh, Victory amplifiers and Origin effects pedals. I had already had another brand that I had been courting for a while, uh, pretty much ready to go, and that was a brand called Kill Cliff, which is a CBD and clean energy drink. Um, <laughs> I do kind of a broad range of things for them. Um, but mm -hmm. for Victory and Origin, my focus was artist relations. Um, at, at first, specifically within the USA, uh, I'm more focused for Victory on USA and for Origin worldwide. Uh, I picked those brands because they were <sighs> boutique-y, but also fully capable of becoming mainstream. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of what I like doing is what I realized. I loved the growth process of orange and getting to create my own piece of orange, my, yeah. own, my own slice of orange. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's what I like doing, man. I like the, I like the low level. Let's start it out and let's grow it together. Like I like being a part of that. So, um, you know, that worked for about a, you know, nine, nine months, 10 months. And then I picked up, I decided that I, I could do that for more people. And, uh, that's when string joy came into play. Um, and then, you know, about a month after that, it was warehouse guitar speakers out of Paducah, Kentucky. So these are all brands that are fast growth brands, um, that make great stuff. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what I want to support. And, you know, I, a big part of this for me is knowing what I'm doing and how it's contributing to the overall picture. I want right. to know what my actions, what consequences my actions have. And, you know, I could never work for a huge company. It wouldn't matter um, what, what company it was. <laughs> I, hate, <laughs> I hate bureaucracy. So, yeah. You know, these, these like with Stringjoy, for instance, I mean, I, I, you know, I see on our Slack and I, I see the inner workings of this company and it's like, it's, it's, it's a clock, man. It's ticking and it's, it's a good crew. And I really enjoy, I really enjoy seeing that and how that's growing. Yeah. I, I mean, similarly, Scott, you know, Scott is, has got similar wiring, you know, he likes the, the, the growth phase, the actual, like laying the foundation and building things. Um, this, this stage is really where things can be really there. It's hard because you don't have the resources of a bigger company. But it's also pretty fun because you you push a button and something immediately happens. You know, you do something and there's an immediate result. Whereas in a bigger organization, you push that button and then you file the TPS report. And then maybe, maybe down the line, that action will actually have something that that occurs visibly to you. You know, sometimes it might just go in the the garbage. It's just how it works. I mean, it, Scott actually had a a pretty decent offer back in the day to go work at Amazon, like at a pretty high level before he started the company. And he realized like, wow, that's a great opportunity. And I'm going to be miserable. <laughs> like I'm going to be completely miserable. Yep. And having that self-awareness at that age is, is I think a little bit uncommon for, for people. So I'm glad he was able to recognize that about himself and, you know, put the, uh, put his strengths to better use, yep. I think, than, than necessarily feeding that machine. Um, and I think you feel similarly. hundred oh, percent. Hate yeah. it. Hate it. Just hate bureaucracy, man. You know, and every company reaches that point, you know, they either sell off before they reach that point or they reach that point eventually where mm -hmm. things are fragmented slightly more than they were. And this is really only something that, like, I think drastically affects the ground level people. Um, right. You know, I, I, there, were, there were things that were, you know, taken away that, you know, maybe needlessly in some instances. That, that's what happens in, that, in those sizes of companies, you know. And that's just yeah. what, that, and it's natural, but I realize that I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, so this has been great, man. I mean, I really, really enjoy, I, I love artist relations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, narrowed it down to that. My skill set is, um, is uh, honestly, it's patience for strangers. Um, yeah, you know, where I, I just have an incredible amount of patience for strangers. It's, it's probably a curse. I have more patience for strangers than I do for my own family. You know what I mean? It's just something about, and it might just be a need to be liked in a sense, but I think that's probably inherent in everybody who's in some sort of sales role, Yeah, which is with artist relations is, is part sales. Um, in fact, in fact, I would, I would argue that it's, it's all sales. Uh, it's a big part of selling yourself though, you know, yeah. because artists have, um, especially established artists have a lot of trust issues. Um, it makes sense. They've, they've, yeah. a lot of them have been been put through the ringer in one form or fashion, mm-hmm. and so it's like, I don't want to deal with that again. Correct. You know. Yeah. It's yeah. a you know it's hard to get into those kinds of things. So that's, you know, I, I I've luckily I've been in it for now fifteen, going on sixteen years. So I don't, you know, I, my approach has never really been to make that many friends with that many big artists, though. Anyways if I'm being totally honest, because those are challenging relationships in a lot of, in a lot of cases. So it's way easier for me to have a, a relationship with the tech manager, you know, extraneous people. Well, and those people, honestly, like, especially like the techs, that's who the artist is trusting with their instrument. You know, that's the person who they're going to listen to. If they're like, Hey, this thing's awesome. You should try it. They're going to trust that person before, the representative from the company, right? Like, like, oh, of course you would say it's good. Like, of course right. you would say it's good, you know? So the, the techs are really crucial in those relationships with the larger artists I've, I've found because they're kind they're the gatekeeper in a good way. You know, normally I'm pretty anti gatekeeping, but uh, this is a, a, yeah. a case where a gatekeeper is important and necessary and beneficial to kind of all parties really. Um, Big time. Man, because to, if I, if I'm not friends with an artist, uh, they're my only chance usually of of getting new pe- new gear in front of them, and then also getting the artist to actually agree to do some sort of content piece. Um, right. You know, if it's it's, it's <laughs> for content, it's better to actually be friends with the artist. But well, for sure. But yeah. that's just you know, again, <laughs> it's hard to have you know, it's hard to really really hardcore maintain that many artist relationships and you know, and have them be actual personal relationships. So the tech, you know, and then I've got techs that will, you know, represent multiple people and that's always the the best situation. You know, somebody who's changing artists all the time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Rotating around, getting all different people in front of all different, you know, new products. Yeah. But somebody super trusted. Drew Foppy is the name that I always reference for that. Mm -hmm. He's a, he's one of those superstar techs. Yeah. Which is kind of a, a funny role to find yourself in, too. It's like, well, uh, okay. like, And that, that comes from, again, like all this stuff is like relationship-based. I, I talked to um, Brian Nutter, who does Nutter Guitars in Nashville. And he, for the long, longest time, was like one of the go-to, you know, sidemen. Like, oh, we need a really good guitar player to come tour with us. Call, call Brian. And the reason he was was, hey, he's a really good guitar player. So that's like, that's kind of like, it's one of those that goes without saying things like, yeah, we need a really good guitar player. We can't have me, for instance, that would not work. Uh, but you also got to just be cool. Like, can you tour with this person? Can you like live with this person for three months? You know? And similarly, like all this stuff, I think that I mean, you can probably speak to this a little more than I can, but that era of rock star divaness you know, being rampant and working across the board. Sure. There's still instances where people are that way, but like in general, I don't think that that is a beneficial thing anymore. It used to be like part of the mystique. Everyone was like, Oh, Axl Rose, look at how he is. That's how I'm going to be. And I don't think that really works in any sector of this business anymore. You know, at least not like it used to. Hi, I'm Vincent and I'm here to talk about the Mercury X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. 
He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations in 33 banks and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at Maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my talkie? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than 2 bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the Gear Exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. No, I artist relations is definitely the most important part of marketing in in this in this business. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, everything that I've ever done to to pull people, like we did lots of polls at Orange, uh, says that that's true. I mean, how you utilize the artist within, you know, within those promotions is the, the other half of that, obviously. Yeah, but. Uh, you know, having having big name artists is very important, um, but it's less than half of the job now. Right. Yeah. The the job has transitioned into. Um, I mean, just it's almost like finding any way <laughs> to get <laughs> uh, to get content. I mean, just straight up, right. like, it, you know, and you, you spread it out so much thinner than you would have used to do. Yeah, that's, you know, you feel like you're talking about Axl Rose. Yeah, I mean, uh, like Slash. <laughs> let's let's go to Slash. Slash, I'm sure, got paid actual cash money and has gotten paid actual cash money uh, and may still even get paid actual cash money to promote, you know, Marshall or whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure that, like, anything that has his face on it he probably is getting a paycheck for. Yes. You know, but I, and I understand that. Or maybe not. Or maybe not. I mean, I should, I probably shouldn't have said Marshall because I'm, I doubt Marshall was paying him, but that's speculation. Um, <laughs> Pure you know, speculation. He's just Pure a Marshall guy. You know, he's just a Marshall guy. So, mm-hmm. um, but you know, putting all your eggs in that basket, that's not a thing anymore. I would, the majority of my marketing is like, it's keeping up on social media with the newest, freshest names in the game, um, mm-hmm. and you know it's they're, they're I, you know I work for boutique amp companies like or guitar guitar related companies. They don't they're not Fender. They don't have that that sort of budget. So a lot of it is gear for gear for play. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and the, the ones that graduate from gear for play or the ones that lose interest in the brand or the ones that were only there for the, the brand's free gear. Um, when they go to, you know, yo, you, you got to pay us a certain amount of money for something, um, that it becomes a lot harder for us to do that. Right. Um, right. You know, it's got to be a very specific campaign that we're working on to be able to, to be able to do that. So a lot of it is, yeah, a lot is scouring the internet, looking for, you know, people that are coming up, um, and people Mm -hmm. that want a brand association. Um, you know, it's changed a lot in 15 years. (laughs) So that's actually a good segue. So what did you used to look for and what do you look for now? Because yeah. a lot of people don't realize this, too. They think that, and some of this happens, some, they think that brands exist and then artists come to the brand and that's how you get artists. And sometimes that works out that way. But most of the time, especially with specific artists, it's a result of you going to them because they're getting lots of people coming to them because... Sometimes it's because the owners just are big fans. <laughs> Admittedly, that's we have some relationships like that. Uh, and then sometimes it's like, I think this person would be a good fit for this campaign, this product, this whatever. I think it's going to really work for them and they'll be able to speak to it really well. But like, how? what is different about your approach back then versus today with all this crazy internet stuff going on? Yeah, the crazy internet stuff just wasn't really a thing, mm-hmm. you know, in 2008 and nine. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, YouTube, yes. And there were the early YouTube adapters or adopters. Um, and at the time, like, for instance, like, I mean, Fluff, uh, you know, he was. Oh, yeah. I, I know he did a few videos before I ever got in touch with him, but uh, he took on Orange pretty early. In that process, I think the first one was just gear for trade, gear for play. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, him and a handful of guys—that that was the focus there. The all the focus was pretty much on bands mm-hmm. um, and whatever was the most popular at the time. Um, so you know, when I came in, my focus was on like pop punk stuff, and yeah. it's not really my cup of tea. But. Went to a lot of pop punk shows, knew a lot of pop punk guys and techs, and um, you know they they that was what was then, and then it it pretty quickly became metal, metal, metal all the time, <laughs> and you know, and that was what Orange wanted, right? You know, that was what that was what Orange needed because what Abe Emsley was making at the time was high gain, you know, rock of verbs, thunder verbs, dual darks. Yeah, I mean. Are we, you know, and I've got sales guys being like, hey, man, could you try to expand that artist base? And it's like, yeah, if you make something that is, that can expand the artist base. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. So, like, then, you know, we got Trem Lords and things like that. Uh, a lot of it was just, you know, the focus on which artists to get was kind of a team effort uh, between sales, management, um, and, you know, myself. Uh, we, we're looking at sound scans. We were, you know, that, which is an insane idea now. I mean, you know, I don't know. I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of people that don't know what sound scans are, but like they're essentially just your numbers. How many units are you selling of an album or a song? And what a pointless metric now. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That doesn't give you a whole lot of information. No, it's that's, like, that's okay, wild. It's wild. You I know. guess we need to send everything to post Malone. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so that was just, you know, it worked at the time. Um, the, the good thing about orange was that they were bright orange and all I needed it to be was on stage with nothing. That, in that was front my introduction. To, yeah. That was my introduction to the brand, honestly. Like, yeah. I had heard about Orange before that. Yeah. You know, I'd kind of, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's some weird amps from the UK called Orange. Oh, I'd never seen one. All of a sudden, I started seeing them, you know, uh, and it was with those bands. And that was my, and literally, my friends and I, we played guitar and we were like, what are those? Yeah. Like, what are those? I, I, those look cool. Like, wow, I've never seen those. a question that before. I always asked in the interviews that I did for Orange. Uh, mm-hmm. every, every artist interview ended with what, uh, do you remember the first time you saw an orange amp? Mm-hmm. 
And sure enough, on, everybody had an stage. answer. Yeah, everybody yeah. had. I know mine. It was an eighty thirty combo. Probably one of the first, one of the first eighty thirty twin channel combos that was ever you know imported into the USA. I know the concert I was at and everything. That's wild. See, I don't remember what model it was. I wasn't familiar enough with the uh, with gear stuff back then to know. I just knew like that's a cool looking amplifier that this band that I like apparently likes. Yeah. You know, and they, and then it happened again and again. Then I started seeing them, you know, and I I feel like that was especially at that time absolutely crucial for that brand, um, and I think that that's still pretty crucial. Uh, you know, obviously, Stringjoy started online primarily and you coupled with some other folks that we brought on board board lately were really making an effort to push into the traditional retail space because while one can make an argument that retail is dying uh, traditional retail is dying in general i think the fact that going to a guitar store is fun and it's an experience that we all enjoy as players like we like it's it's not a it's a chore to go buy some milk. It's like, oh, I got to go. If I could have my milk delivered to me, I would do that because I don't want to go to the store to buy milk. But I do want to go to the guitar store. So any excuse whatsoever, it's like, oh, I need strings. I'm going to go to the guitar store, you know, and also buy a pedal. Uh, it's it's a it's a fun experience. And I that's why I don't think I think there may be some pullback in certain ways or at least a shift to online more and more over over time but i think that if you have a cool guitar store in in most major markets you're gonna do you're gonna at least survive and that's why i think retail in the guitar and music space is still really important plus you want to play the things especially the expensive guitars you usually want to play those first if you can stores are where you do that at so you know pushing into those spaces has been uh, a, a huge goal for us and what that does also is add a lot of legitimacy in the public's eyes to the brand, which sounds silly to say because I'm an internet guy, but you see something on a shelf at a, at a major retailer and there's a certain level of vetting that you at least assume has occurred. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's kind of a weird, weird way to look at it, but it is what we do as humans for some reason. No, I feel that, man. Um, you know, and that was another thing that we used to do well, we didn't used to do it at Orange, um, but most a lot of a lot of brands did was you know in stores. Um, yeah, those are much fewer and further between now. Um, sure, but you know, yeah. So so like you know, back to what I used to do versus you know how I evaluate people now. Now, sure, again, it's it's a lot of how do you know how how willing are you to present your love for the brand in an open setting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, having stuff on stage is, is still amazing, um, but I want your social media viewers yeah. to see our stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the primary focus nowadays. Yeah, it's also uh, it's it's more measurable. Yep. You know what I mean? It's it's there's still a lot of throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks, but like if you have an artist do something for one of your brands, you can immediately navigate over there and see at least how many, roughly how many eyeballs were on it. Like how many people, at least it kind of swooped past their feed real quick, Um, which is not the best metric in the world, but it's better than what we used to have, which is, I think a lot of people went to that concert. Mm -hmm. I think so. I'm pretty sure they did. Well, how many capacity was it? Oh, it was like, oh, I thought it was a thousand cat, but it was actually only a hundred cat. Oh man. Well, I guess not as many people saw it as I, <laughs> as I thought. <laughs> well, I tell you what, uh, man, I mean that, that I used to go to a lot of shows to evaluate crowds. Yeah. That was, that's a true mm-hmm. thing that happened. And I don't feel the need to do that nearly as much. And I certainly in this post COVID world or ongoing COVID world, you know the the way that the backstages have been affected. It's it's like we're trying to get away from having to go to concerts to hang out with artists <laughs> at all. It, it, that's what it feels like sometimes. It's really it's kind of it's depressing in a sense. But you know it's it's been good for my for spending time with my family because I don't have to go to as many concerts now. 
you know, a lot of that business mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't have to happen there. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of that traditional stuff that's kind of evaporated in some ways, you know. I mean, Nam's a great example, right? I mean, I know you used to put an insane amount of hours into helping prepare for Nam. Yeah. And now it's constantly like, are we even going to do Nam? Are we even going? You know, it's not even a matter of like, how cool can we make the booth? It is, are we even going to, are we not only going to display, are we even physically going to be there at all in any shape or form? And so far, the last couple, the last couple that have happened, the answer was no. I mean, Stringjoy didn't even, uh, didn't even go to Summer Nam in Nashville, like at all. And there, it's literally like 15 minutes from the shop. We had we had people that attended that show. Uh, Rhett Scholl, for example, he attended that show, texted me, and was like, "Can I please come by the Stringjoy shop to film something?" And I knew that was because there was nothing at Nam, like. Wampler went there and he said, I, he's like, I literally had to leave Nam to go find guitar gear. <laughs> yeah, there were like six amp companies represented there. And I think one of them was, what, was it Mesa or PV? And they just had that QR code. Yeah. And you heard why they did that, Cable right? set up with just a, a QR code on it to scan. <laughs> yeah, I heard that they did that. Be, well, you, if you told me this. Did I tell you that? I think oh, you okay, explained this remember. to me. Explain it to me again. Yeah, so basically, Nam realized that that show was not going to be, uh, it was going to be very problematic from a revenue standpoint because there was not very many people there. And so, what they did to try to offset that was they decided to charge non exhibiting vendors, which normally don't get charged uh, very much. Um, I don't remember what the rate is exactly, but it wasn't what they decided to charge, which was 500 bucks. They wanted to charge 500 bucks per person for non-exhibiting vendors, which was insane. They've never charged that much for non-exhibiting vendors. So what PV and I think Walrus Audio and Gretsch and maybe a couple others decided to do, it was cheaper for them to rent booth space get the passes that come with it, like five or 10 passes or whatever, and just not have a booth. It was, and just send their people that way. So that's what PV did with that QR code. They're just like, well, we'll just, I mean, we need, we want to send this many people just to see what the show is. It's going to cost us 500 bucks a piece. Uh, It's cheaper just to get a booth. And so they just got the smallest booth they could, put a QR code up and let their people walk the non-existent NAM floor. That's Uh, wild, man. It's so crazy to see. And it makes me wonder what's going to happen in April because they've moved it to April for 2023 in, in Anaheim this time. Okay, that was smart because, you know, it's not a good idea to have it in the middle of summer touring season because you're not going to get artists there. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they didn't, it sounds right. like, L- largely, largely. Um, I, I couldn't, I'll, I, I, you know, I wanted, I should have gone. And I should have gone just because... I, I now I understand what kind of show it ended up being with, you know, obviously it is, it was more laid back, but there were so many people missing. Um, it just didn't seem like something I needed to do. However, you know, I'm an independent consultant now. Like it's in retrospect, I probably should have gone. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, that's always been the real value of those events for me, yeah. uh, not necessarily for string joy, but for me, it's like just saying hi, you know, introducing myself to people and getting some FaceTime with with people who, you know, run companies and trying to figure out ways that maybe we can be beneficial to each other, you know, and... Uh, you cannot like convince one me thing. that there were a whole bunch of retailers there, though. I cannot imagine a world in which there were a ton of retailers there, right, and all kinds of new business. I, I can't imagine it either. I can't. I really can't. I, um it's 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 a weird thing because we're still debating on whether we're going to go in April or not because we've never done Nam from the Stringjoy side. We've never done Nam the way we want, and now we're finally approaching the ability to to be able to do that. But we also are very skeptical on whether it even matters or not. <laughs> so it's get a like one of those of, weird things. Get a handful of like-minded companies together and do one of those super booths. Yeah, something. Hey, Victory and Origin yeah. uh, were doing theirs combined prior to COVID, and 
I don't know, based on what I saw and just the sheer number of just influencers that went there mm-hmm. and the amount of time that these guys had with those influencers, I think it could make sense for a brand like Victory Origin to present there again. Yeah. If I was at Orange, would I suggest to them that they go back? Nope. Probably not. Yeah, it's, it's a different thing, right? Orange, it sounds kind of weird to say, but they've pretty much got there, right? You know, which is part of the reason you left. They Good to go. It's going it's hard to imagine that they're going to grow any more than they than they have outside of just the industry itself expanding and them going along for that ride. Now that's not to say they should sit on their haunches because uh if they do uh, you know, Victory's probably going to come along and gobble up some of their uh, <laughs> some of their space, which is what happens. You know, um, uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right, and that's that's a different thing for different companies, right? Like the the smaller ones sometimes get more benefit out of that, but at the same time, they don't have the budgets to do the cool the cool booth. So it's a catch twenty two in some ways, but it is, and you yeah. don't want to go there and downsize too much. Uh, you know, right. that's what I feel like because. <laughs> I mean, Nan was always, Booth always got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then those last two years, we had just this crazy custom booth built. It was insane. Yeah. And, um, you know, and that, then we, then COVID. Um, right. So do you go back and do you have like a 10 by 10 now? Like, <laughs> I don't know. That's not, to me, that's not a great look. Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Bliss and Good Hertz. It's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with very compressed audio. You're hearing it right now. the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my plane dynamics. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about lossing, I invite you to head over to chaseflintsaudio.com Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Well, it's kind of weird because uh, you mentioned Earthquaker earlier, so they've always had a really cool booth too. Yeah, and I know that this year they they just had a pedal board at the Stompbox Deli. Yeah, they were they like, and I don't know. I haven't talked to Jamie about this, but my assumption is the only reason they even did that was because there was a thing going on where Julie was getting an honor, which she super deserves. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I I hypothesize, and I, I'm putting words in their mouth publicly. I don't know this for a fact, everyone. I'm surmising that they may not have even gone if had that not been the case. Um, I don't know that for a fact, though. Probably shouldn't have even said it, but I said it. That sounds right. Uh, <laughs> Why? Why go? Uh, Why go? Uh, you know, yeah. as a brand, I, there's not, there wasn't a huge reason. But, but that's not true. Just the right size brand. I mean, because the thing is, is that I think Rev was probably the biggest brand that was represented in the amps. Yeah, I think so. And. They stuck out, at least in my mm-hmm. world of content that I see on my social media. They stuck out because of that. Mm-hmm. So right. I because bet they got the, some good stuff done. Yeah, because <laughs> the the media people were there, right? There was a lot. Of, we knew that. We knew a lot of the media people were going. But at the same time, you know what? Like Ryan from Sixty Cycle, he's he's a uh, one of the channels that you know usually works really really hard at those events and gets a ton of content. The only thing he filmed this time was hanging a little hangout with the rest of the YouTubers, you know? Why so, is that? Why do you think that is? Because I don't think there was a lot there. He couldn't be get content? 
<laughs> I don't know that. I don't know why for sure, but I have to assume somebody who goes from 100 miles an hour to five miles an hour, um, <laughs> that's probably the reason, or at least stuff he wasn't interested in or stuff he was already covering elsewhere or you know, I, any combination of those things. I'm not sure. Yeah. I just know that's what happened. Um, but we, I know you have a little bit of a limited time frame, and I wanted to get into one more quick thing that would be beneficial for, we're doing a lot of just industry scuttlebutt right now, but that would be beneficial for the listeners. Say they are trying to like start a YouTube channel or they are an artist that they're like, we, we, I really want to be in a touring band, like, but I want to work with some of these companies. What's an approach that you would like to see as an A&R guy? What do you, what are you looking for outside of just sheer numbers? I know it's more than that. Yeah. Um, wow. Let's be honest here. I am pulling artists from a variety of sources. Sometimes it's the owner of a company who just really wants to work with someone. Sometimes, and very rarely, it is a cold call email that comes through the artist relations request line. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it is through a manager, publicist, you know, guitar tech, somebody industry who I trust. And then the other times it's a lot of me scouring the internet to find new people um, mm -hmm. and being proactive and touching base with them. A lot of that's done through social media. Ooh. I am equal opportunity, super equal opportunity. I like weird stuff. Um, and when I say weird stuff, I don't mean like weird music necessarily. I do like weird music, but I like, uh, you know, I just, I, I was on the phone with a, a, a really cool violinist today um, trying to get them nice. to use something. And that's very unorthodox. You know, it's not, it's just not what people would expect necessarily. Um, I look for, I, I really like underdogs. Uh, I really like people who are trying very, very hard. Um, here are some good examples of that. Uh, do you remember Unlocking the Truth? I don't. Yeah, it was uh, these three kids from, honestly, I think they were Harlem. Okay. They're Harlem or Brooklyn, Queens. <laughs> There's so many. That's such a big space. <laughs> Anyways, it's a metal band. And, um, you know, they, they got famous because they shot a video, like, in I, I want to say it was just outside of Times Square. And they were, like, performing in the street. And I was one of the first people that hit them up just because just on the strength of that video. Uh, there's a band that's coming up right now called The Warning, which is mm -hmm. three, three young girls. And they've been trying forever. And they are finally hitting. And they're hitting hard right now. And I, I endorsed them on the strength of a cover they did of Inner Sandman um, nice. in their basement studio. Um, things like that. I love stuff like that. I... When um, uh, Hot Water Music came back, you know, for their, yeah. like, kind of really came back, 2008, 2009, they, like, really hit it again. Um, Love that band. Decked them out with mm -hmm. an all-orange stage. You know, that's a band's band. Um, yes. Those are, those are all examples of me being subjective and proactive. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of stuff that I look for personally. Uh, you know, and when we got Getty Lee on board at Orange, it was because um, they were recording next to Slipknot and Getty asked what the bass tone was that Slipknot wow. was using in the studio. Um, and that led to, you know, a huge endorsement for us. Um, that's the industry getting me getting me things. Uh, it's not it's just, you know, it's what I would say is, you know, honestly, man, just just message me on social media and tell me why you think you should be endorsed. Like I look for and just when I just get cold call emails and maybe that's, maybe we should focus on that because that's how a lot of people might, you know, first reach out and a cold yeah. call email I get. Um, I am going to, it, it's a lot of it's dependent on my mood, but, a, but a lot of it is dependent <laughs> on, on how many social media followers you have uh, and how often you're touring and the type of variety of touring you have. I also want to see like growth 
you know, over mm -hmm. like a year period or more. I want to see uh, that you were opening for this one band and then like you're opening for another band and, and name drop, name drop like crazy. That's fine. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's not, it's not for everybody an endorsement. It's pointless for some people. Um, some people just want to buy their stuff and they don't want to, the association, they don't want to bother with, with me because I, can get you stuff, free stuff, discounts on stuff, but you owe me something. <laughs> so it's not, so it's not really free then. That's the thing, you yeah, know, like it's, I've, it, I've, I've gotten that before. Like, Oh, you get free gear. I'm like, it's a piece of your soul put, because I, and I put how many thousand hours into like, yeah. just even trying to not. And the goal for me is not free gear. It's like, you know, people pay attention for some reason or another, and and it's all the work that goes into it. So is it free at the end of the day? Like, I would argue that for most of these people, it's not free, you know? It's not free. Um, it's, it's a, it is a piece of your soul. It, <laughs> if you love the brand, it's not, it's not a difficult choice. Right. You know what I mean? And right. so I don't want, I hate, I don't start artist relationships normally on a guess. You know what I mean? The right. artist wants, needs to want it, needs to want to try it at least. Uh, mm -hmm. And they get it, and they try it, and they love it. Great. You don't love it. What's the point of this? You know what I mean. And I'll question. I'll question an artist. <laughs> yeah. I'll question an artist who, who says, "I don't really like it. I'll still make something with it." <laughs> what's the, the point of that? Like, you know, that's that's, that's weird to me. That's so foreign to me. I absolutely will not. Like, if well, I really don't, I've but even if you I did, like, it you know? would make more sense for a person who's for the role that you have. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. You are a person that tries pedals and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Right. That's not, right. it's not crazy for you to try things that you don't like and just not poo on them and give just yeah. basic details about it. Yeah, that's true. But I don't even do that. Like if I really hate something, it's not getting coverage. Like, and that has happened before. Um, and it's like. Fair. It, it's just, oh, I, that's what I would expect out of somebody like me. And so I want to maintain that standard for my people because I want them to know, like, when I'm like, hey, I think this is legitimately awesome that I really think that it is. Now, if I think it's awesome, but I will also say that I'm like, this is great. I wish it also didn't do this or did that. Yeah. You know, I'm always trying to be as open as possible. Now, and I recognize that I'm in a different spot and I try a lot more things than maybe, you know, some I get a wider variety of things, say, like, I don't think that you know, the guys in Mastodon necessarily have a lot of interest or need for the Maris LVX. I just don't think that that's a product that they would care or need. And I don't think it, it would make any sense, you know? Uh, whereas I like brutal fuzz pedals and weird stuff like that, you know? So it's a kind of a different thing. But anyway, I sidetracked you and I, uh, I know you got to go, but so let's get these classic questions out of the way and you can get to the rest of your day. How's that sound? Give it to me. All right. This is going to be weird because I know that, uh, you know, you're a musician, but pedals aren't necessarily something that like you obsess over the way I do, but it is a classic question that I ask everyone. And I know, you know, things about pedals. So <laughs> that is to what say is that I don't play guitar and okay. that is not something that I'm embarrassed about because, uh, okay. yeah, I wasn't sure how quiet that was. I wasn't sure. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, no, man, it's fine. I, I, I've, you know, it's never been a thing. It's so funny because, and I'm just never let it be a thing. Like I, I know enough about I it. I, that's all I do. I just, I do guitar stuff, but I can't play guitar, but you know, I'm just a fan. <laughs> <laughs> You're a drummer though. That's right. Yeah. I like to play yeah. drums. I like to, uh, song write. Yeah. yeah. There you Which go. I do mostly there. through singing with a, a partner of mine. Cool. That's cool. So, well, the question still stands because you're very familiar with this stuff. In fact, you're probably the most familiar that a non-guitarist could possibly be, to be honest. Uh, what is your favorite boss pedal? My favorite boss pedal? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I'm being totally honest, I guess it's a metal zone. There you go. Yeah. See? I, it's, I'll never forget it, man. I mean, that was one of the first pedals that I, that I saw. Um, a buddy oh. of mine in my neighborhood, a, a, still a very good friend of mine, 
He's one of those kids that, like, at nine years old was wearing Cannibal Corpse shirts. <laughs> Genuinely. And, you know, he's, he's my best friend. We, 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 I hung out a lot in his basement. He was in metal bands as early as, like, 11 or 12 years old with people who were nearly in college. And then... Wow. Yeah, man. I mean, it was wild, dude. So, that, and, and a metal zone was a big part of uh, 1993 and four. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was still very, it was still the, the, the pedal to have on your rig if you were in a metal band in the basement. <laughs> it's true. It's true. The, the metal zone. I think the metal zone's great. I love it. In fact, I'm going to probably have two of them here pretty soon. Well, three of them if you count the one that's modded into a fuzz. So. Are you collecting hey. some vintage ones? Is that what you're doing? Uh, sort of. Um, I have a standard issue one. Uh, I have one that's been converted to a fuzz, and then I saw that there was an all-black version that was released recently, and of course I gotta have that. Gotcha. Like, it's kind of stupid that I don't have it. Honestly, it's one of those things I can't afford not to have it. That's that's the way I look at it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna try to acquire one of those here pretty soon. But uh, the final question, and something I know we should probably spend more time on, maybe we will when we record Patreon. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Uh, I like a, uh, if I'm be okay. <laughs> I love Barstool Sports Pizza reviews. <laughs> Do you? I kind of, I feel like that guy's full of it, but all right. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. No, he's absolutely, Dave Portnoy is absolutely full of it. Yeah. But, yeah. um, I do, t I agree with his pizza likings. I like, I, okay. I like a thinner pizza, not super thin, but a thinner. I like yeah. it very crispy. Um, like the home run pizza that you get, like the the frozen home run, is a never, to me is a great pizza. It's like kind of cracker crust. I like a cracker crust. Um, I've never had a home run pizza. Yeah, it's all right. Um, but yeah, man, and and pepperoni, just pepperoni. Yeah. That's it. The little the little ones that curl up. No, the, no, I'm no. actually not a little curl up fan as much as I am just a a, a thin. I don't like thin thin. You know, like mm -hmm. Domino's. That's that's like what is that? Is that even a piece of meat? Uh, right. It's got to have some girth to it, some weight. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. All right, I can get behind that. I can get. We can eat pizza together. So next time uh, we're Nashville, and I'll take you to a spot that Scott introduced me to. I'm sure Scott will be there too. But uh, Smith and Lentz. Smith uh, and Lentz. I think you'll like it. They do the little rony thing, but they have a lot of just different. You, I think you'll enjoy it. It's very good pizza. Yeah. So. Well, that's great, man. Am I getting paid for this uh, this name drop right now, or are we both getting royalties on that? Uh, sure, Smith and Somehow. Lentz. Yeah, come on, Smith and Lentz, <laughs> hook us up. They've been on the they've been on the String Joy IG before too. Uh, come on, hook us up with some pie next time we're there. I'll take coupons. Yeah, that's fine. That's all. Yeah, I need. exactly. Yeah, yeah, pies. I I will get happily get paid in pies. That's that's something I can do. Well, dude, when, thank when, you so much this, for. Hold on, when does this come out again? Uh it'll be a few weeks. What? Well, what, you got something you want to drop? I think the I think the Halcyon will be out by then. Yeah, the new the new Origin Tube Screamer. Oh, which we're sending you. you one of those right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, well, that's exciting. You get to that's try it first. Exciting. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's got a little proprietary wow. technology in there too. Oh, man. Well, we'll have to talk about that. Absolutely. I don't know anything about this. Yeah. <laughs> well, dude, thank you so much for hanging out. This was a blast. And thank you for that. That was a, that was something I literally didn't know until just now. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> you, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, the <laughs> but maybe, coming out maybe late. <laughs> but maybe late. I don't remember when it releases, actually. <laughs> we may need to cut this earlier than this. <laughs> or just blur the... <laughs> just beep the name out. We'll just we'll just beep it out. It's Origin Effects new beep. Yeah. Halcyon, Halcyon, Halcyon. Bleep all this. Oh, no, like, oh, Halcyon, oh, Halcyon. I got it. I have so much editing to do. Ah. <laughs> That's not the word I thought I was gonna have to bleep out on this podcast. Gee whiz. Yeah, no, it was. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Blake. Oh man. Anyway, <laughs> let's wrap this thing up. So, for Alex, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. There you go, good people. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I hope you found it useful as well. 
maybe share this with somebody. Share this with somebody who's perhaps an up-and-coming artist and doesn't know about this kind of stuff. Share it with anybody you think that might like any aspect of this because that is what helps keep this thing going. Seriously, thank you so much to all those that do. It is a massive help. Massive, massive help. Seriously, thank you so much. And if you could take a little bit, I haven't asked for this in a while, but if you could take a few minutes and give this podcast a rating and a review on whatever platform you happen to be listening to this on, Spotify, Apple, whatever, if it allows you to rate and review, if you could throw it a rating and a review, that would be most helpful. It's always good to have some fresh ones up there, and I haven't asked for that in a long time. So if you could, I would appreciate that very, very much. And as always, folks, I'll see you on the flip-flop. Later. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com slash Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.